You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. Today it'll just be me on the podcast. I got pulled into a last-second travel thing for work, so I'll be halfway across the country when we normally film our podcast. But uh, what I really wanted to kind of go over tonight is just boot reviews. So over the last couple of years, all the various boots that I've used with a particular focus on whitetail as opposed to just kind of general uh, hunting or out west or hiking or that type of thing, and just kind of say what things I liked about the boots that I have used what things I didn't like, what things I may change, uh, and so on and so forth. You know, as I'm looking through all the various pictures and posts that I see, there's just so much going on right now, especially down south and in the lower Midwest with guys doing scouting, scouting workshops, shed hunting, and it just makes me wish that the snow here was gone. Uh, we've got so much snow here in Minnesota and for the guys in the upper Midwest, I'm just preaching to the choir, but I know a lot of you guys listen from uh, all various parts across the country. Here in Minnesota, we've had the snowiest February on record, and February has now been the fourth highest snow total out of, uh, I think, any month that we've ever had, which I think is right around 40 inches is what the total ended up being for this month. And I actually had a guy comment on one of my Instagram posts that, in his place up in the UP, they've gotten 200 inches of snow this year, which is absolutely absurd. And I got to imagine that all the deer that are around that area are really struggling uh, with that amount of snowfall in a given winter. So really, all I've been able to do lately is just kind of tinker around in the garage with various bow setups, arrow setups, different things that I'm going to change for next year. I got my new BX32 from New Breed all set up. I got it tuned literally in the first shot at shot a bullet hole through paper. So the next step for me is to take the thing out to the range and start doing some walk back and some bear shaft tuning. And I might actually just 
strip down the arrows that I have and just do all bare shaft go, I guess, one by one and then redo the whole fletching configuration, try various things just to see if I can find something that's a little bit better than what I had last year. Even at the range, it isn't super fun right now because the snow is well over knee deep as I'm trying to walk through and kind of plow my own trails down to the targets. I actually ended up breaking into a little bit of sweat, just literally shooting my bow at the range just because all the snow I had to trudge through. Luckily, where I'm going to be traveling for work this week, it's supposed to be 80 degrees. So I'll literally be going from 10 below zero, which it is right now, to 80 degree weather. So I'm going to be wearing shorts, t-shirt. I'm basically just going to treat it like a spring break. I think I'm going to really enjoy my time away from this cold Midwest. Because I'll be honest, I'm getting getting a little bit uh, tired of the weather right now at this point. So I don't know. It is what it is. I mean, even ice fishing, it's tough to even drive in the lakes right now with all the snow that we have. So Next weekend is the Minnesota Deer and Turkey Expo, so I'll go walk around that show for a bit. It's not quite as big as the one in Iowa, that Deer Classic that they have going on this weekend, uh, but there's still a few booths that I definitely want to check out. And then beyond that, getting ready for turkey season. It's hard to even really think about it right now with just the amount of snow that we have, but as soon as that stuff starts melting, I can tell you what, my excitement to go out and hit the spring woods is definitely going to start to uh, hit pretty strong, I think. It'll probably be one of those things where... It's like you don't even realize that it's there until all of a sudden the season's a week away and then I'll be scrambling to get everything together. I did end up drawing a season one tag for Minnesota, which is right in the middle of April, I believe the 17th through the 22nd of April, which is our first season. And then I also drew a season C tag for Wisconsin, which is their third season. I know that Shane Simpson drew that same tag, so I've been talking with Shane. We might try and do something together that third season just to uh, be able to do some little video collaboration work and be able to hunt together again. And then just before all that stuff happens, I'll be actually driving out to Lake Erie to do a walleye fishing trip uh, with my dad and one other family member. So I'm definitely looking forward to that too. Just a few more weeks of this long, drawn-out winter, and then the fun stuff will start to happen. Before I actually get started with the boot discussion, just wanted to remind everybody that if you are looking into getting a new bow, if you go to New Breed's online store, you can get your custom bow at $50 off by using the code DIY Sportsman, all one word. So I think the way that I want to categorize the boot discussion and the boot review is to kind of break it into things that I would use early season or kind of all round or scouting type boots. And then my mid season boots, which would kind of be anything that I would use from the time when it's maybe late September, early October, all the way through like mid November. So not late season, but not necessarily blazing hot early season either. And then lastly, I want to talk about cold weather options. So we've done some cold weather podcasts in the past and kind of gone into some of this stuff before. Um, but I really wanted to focus on just specifically the boot side of things and really keeping your feet warm when you get to that late in the season. So as far as early season stuff goes, uh, for a long time, the boots that I used were the Cabela's Mindel Ultralight Boots. They are a $200 boot, leather and mesh uppers. It has a Gore-Tex lining, so it is waterproof. Although, um, to be totally honest, if you get above, you know, like ankle deep in water, uh, it did seem like there was a little bit of a ability for some water to, or moisture to leak in. Um, but again, that just kind of depended on how tightly the boot was uh, tied as well. Oftentimes when I would use just that boot and I thought I might 
go through some water, what I would do is also use a gator over the top. So the Kudu Yukon gators are the ones that I would use. And they're nice in the fact that they fit really tightly onto my leg. Um, it doesn't feel like it's baggy at all. It's just really streamlined. You have a nice cinch closure at the top. So really it's like if you dunk your foot into water briefly, even if you go above the level of where that gator is, honestly, a lot of the times that water doesn't get in at all. Where it really starts to work its way in is if your foot is submerged in water for an extended period of time. So for example, if you wanted to try and walk across a swamp using just like the ultralight boots with the gaiters on top and hope that the waterproofness of the boots combined with the waterproofness of the gator would get you through, I'd say, no, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, it seemed like as much as I wanted that to be the case, I would always tend to get that water just seeping in after maybe 10, 20, 30 seconds of walking. So definitely if you're going to go through that type of water, you're going to want to use a waterproof boot that's knee high or higher. But if you're just going to be walking through like a stream crossing or something like that, or you might be going through like a type of bog where you're mostly going to be dry, but you could have the chance of popping through and getting your foot wet. Then that's something where the gator and uh, leather boot could get you by just fine. Now that Mindel boot lasted me for I'd say a solid four years before it finally got to the point where the sole was starting to peel apart. I glued it together a couple times with shoe goo. And finally, I just said, it's time to get a new pair of boots. And when I did that, I was very strongly considering getting another pair of those Mindel ultralights. They were probably one of the more comfortable boots that I've ever worn. I didn't really have any complaints with them uh, other than the things I already talked about, which to me were minor, um, kind of expected in a boot like that, in my opinion. But then I ended up seeing the uh, Instinct Pursuits boot, also by Cabela's. And that one... The list price is $169.99, but if I remember correctly, there was a sale going on, which is another one of the reasons I wanted to try it. So I think it was $125 when I bought that boot on sale. And in contrast to the Mindel, this one is all synthetic, so it's not leather. It has uh, TPU uppers, EVA midsoles, and then the Vibram outsoles. And it also has Gore-Tex, uh, and this Gore-Tex is Gore-Tex Around, which to the best of my knowledge, it's kind of a, a newer Gore-Tex thing uh, where you can have a boot that has the Gore-Tex liner um, kind of situated or um, built into the boot in such a way that it gives you a little bit better coverage is my understanding. I'm not an expert by any means on what exactly the total difference is between Gore-Tex surround and just a normal Gore-Tex liner, um, but I'm led to believe that there is a difference between the two. Now that Instinct Pursuits boot has a 4.4 out of 5 star review with 12 reviews, whereas the Mindel Ultralight boot had 3.5 star reviews on average for 23 reviews. And I mean, I always typically look at reviews uh, from the customers on like an online store because those type of reviews, you know, you're going to be unbiased. If a guy just hated the thing, he's going to have no problem just going on his keyboard and typing up how much he hated that. And I, I feel like you tend to get more negative responses or negative reviews written on an online uh, review board like that. Because if you had something that performed as you would expected it to perform, I feel like you're less likely or most people would be less likely to actually go out of their way 
and write a positive review or, or write a review that says, yeah, these pretty much, you know, met my expectations. Whereas if you had a really, really good experience or a really, really bad experience, you're more likely to actually take time out of your day to go and write a review. So I usually like to look at those type of reviews in context of what they actually say, as well as just the overall average, especially weighted with how many reviews there are. If something has four and a half stars with 300 reviews, that's going to carry a lot more weight than something that has four and a half stars with, you know, five reviews in my mind. Uh, but anyway, those Instinct Pursuits boots, I bought those back in, I want to say July, and basically wore them through the entire uh, early season. I've also worn them on a couple scouting trips late season, uh, which I'll talk about that in a little bit too, just the fact that they're totally uninsulated, but um, I still used them in periods where I knew I wasn't going to be actually spending much time um, not walking. So that boot, just like the Mindel Ultralight, in my opinion, was very comfortable. And the difference, other than the fact that one's synthetic and one's leather, is that those Pursuits boot, they are basically like a low-top hiking shoe or hiking boot. They're light enough that they feel like a tennis shoe when you're actually wearing them. So if you're the type of guy who likes hunting in, because I, I didn't realize this, but there's actually quite a few guys that will actually hunt in shoes. They'll get like, uh, go to like an outdoor store, like an REI or something like that, and actually go and get like my, or, uh, Merrill or like Keen ultralight uh, shoes that are made for like trail running, minimalist trail running shoes. And guys like to use those for hunting because the sole is so soft and the shoe is so light and it's so pliable that you really get a much better feel of the ground beneath you. And it allows you to, to walk a little bit more stealthily um, and be able to kind of, I don't know, be in touch more with your surroundings, if that makes any sense. Uh, whereas if you're using a stiff boot, sometimes what can happen is you, it just seems like you, you feel a little bit more clumsy when you walk with a stiffer boot that your foot just kind of sits in. So from that aspect, I felt like the Pursuits boot kind of fit that bell as well, where I felt like it was a boot that I had no problem hiking in. If I wanted to go for like a run, I felt like I could also do those in those type of uh, boots. And the fact that they're waterproof, I never really got to test. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, they passed expectations, but just the fact that they're so low, um, they're so low top that it doesn't really matter to me a ton that they're waterproof. It helps keep like the water out if you're walking through like wet grass or something like that. But if you're actually going through any kind of actual, it's really tough for a shoe that high to keep the water out just because it's going to be so easy for that water to run in between your pants and your actual top of your shoe, which is right at your ankle. So again, if you're going to be walking through a lot of water, you definitely want something that's higher up to be able to really get full advantage of the fact that it's waterproof. But as far as walking through like wet grass, things like that, yeah, definitely did fine as far as the ability to keep the water out and definitely comfortable, lightweight. And I think I might even like it enough that I'll probably continue to wear those boots um, just for every scenario that I would have previously used those Mindel Ultralights. It's like when we go back out to Colorado this fall, I'll probably wear those Instinct Pursuits boots. I won't buy a separate pair just to be able to go out to Colorado with. I'll use those for scouting. I'll use those for turkey hunting. And basically just, you know, anything that requires uh, 
a real comfortable, lightweight boot. Now, when you get into a lot of water, that definitely isn't going to fit the bill. And I've said this in the past, I'm not a big fan of rubber boots. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with scent control or lack thereof. And obviously, rubber boots are typically going to be your best bet overall for walking through water and keeping your feet dry. But what I really don't like about the rubber boots, at least in my experience, and I've definitely spent many years using rubber boots for hunting, I don't like the fact that there's no laces. It seems like I really struggle to find a rubber boot that fits tightly onto my uh, foot and ankle enough that it really feels like it gives me the amount of support that I can get out of a hiking boot or a hiking shoe. And then on top of that, the rubber boots tend to be heavier than their hiking boot counterparts, regardless of if it's leather or if it's synthetic, they tend to be heavier and they don't breathe. So I feel like that makes my foot more likely to sweat when I'm actually walking long distances. And then that sweat on the inside of the boot can start to lead toward getting cold feet once I'm actually sitting on the stand. So there's a few different reasons that I'm really not a huge fan of rubber boots. Although if I had to guess, I'd probably imagine that a large majority of the guys who are hunting whitetails probably are using rubber boots because it's the more common thing to do. So what do I do when I know I'm going to be going through a lot of water? Well, one of two things. Uh, so if I'm going through a lot of water where even a knee high boot might not be enough, I use hip boots and for the hip boots, essentially what I did was I bought a pair of the Tingly ultralight boots connected to Yoder traps. And that was off of a recommendation and also just kind of a observation of Scott Hamilton wearing those, um, ultralight boots from Tingly down in Sadapalooza, not this year, but last year. And once you actually hold those boots in your hand and you compare them to a typical pair of rubber boots, it's night and day difference how much lighter those things are. I think they're 70% lighter according to the website. And the reason for it is they're made out of EVA, which uh, is a material that in its construction has a lot more air pockets within the material. So it ends up being a whole lot lighter of a finished product. The actual weight of those boots for the pair is two pounds, four ounces before they put the chaps on. And with those chaps, it's kind of like the same type of uh, idea as Dan's frog legs, which maybe more guys have probably heard of where they'll take those uh, nylon chaps and they'll actually sew them to the boots. So the place I got mine from was ridgelinesupply.com. They're $99 where you can basically choose the boot and you choose what kind of chap you want on there. So I chose the tingly boots and the lightweight uh, chap option, which is a 400 denier waterproof layer. And then on top of that, a 400 denier nylon briar resistant layer. They also have heavyweight, uh, which is the same 400 denier waterproof layer uh, underneath a 1000 denier nylon briar proof layer. And then there's a couple more options on top of that. But there's a couple things that I like and a couple things I don't like about those boots. I love the fact that they're so lightweight. Uh, I can basically, if I want to go to like a stream crossing or something that's a long ways off, I don't have to wear a pair of waders or hip boots or anything like that for the long haul. I can just throw them on my pack or throw them in my pack, whatever ends up being more convenient. And then once I get to the actual crossing, I can go ahead, drop the pack, swap off my shoes, put on those boots, cross whatever I need to cross, and then take them back off at the other side. 
if you guys saw the video from the public land challenge when I crossed that stream, that was those boots. Um, and obviously that was a little bit aggressive, got a little bit too high in terms of the water would have been better served with waders. Ultimately I did it all right because it was so warm that early in the year, but had it been later in the year, I wouldn't have taken that risk uh, by trying to go through that water because that water was just a little bit too high for those hip boots. Uh, but there's generally not a ton of, a ton of places or a ton of opportunities where the water gets that high for me. Typically a knee high boot for me is good enough for most places and occasionally I'll need hip boots, but it's very rare that I actually need waders. So that's kind of why I've, I personally have gone with, I guess those as a, as a, uh, hip boot option versus going with something like, um, a breathable nylon waiter uh, or something like that. But I have definitely looked into that. It's just something I haven't pulled the trigger on yet because there's just so few uh, places where I'd actually have the opportunity to want to use it. So things I don't like about those uh, tingly ultralight boots, not necessarily the chaps, the, the chaps will talk about separate, but the boots themselves, they are not very form-fitting around the foot or the ankle. Uh, so while I can actually walk in those things on flat ground for quite a ways and not have any kind of blisters or anything like that, what the biggest issue is, is that when your boot sinks into the muck and you try and pull that thing out, that boot just wants to stay stuck and your foot will just fly right out. There's just really not that much grip around the ankle to hold your foot in. So whereas normally you'd be able to have like laces or something, you know, being able to hold tight onto your foot and be able to just kind of be efficient as you walk through a really um, mucky or, or muddy or silty type of soil underneath that water. It just is really a struggle with those boots and you end up burning a whole bunch of extra energy, just trying to keep the boot on your foot as you actually lift your leg up each step. There is a way that I've found that you can kind of counteract that. Basically, if you take a strap, uh, just like a, a typical type of cinching strap, something that you would use to mount a trail camera onto a tree, like one of those stock ones that comes with the trail camera, or the same type of straps that you would use to hold a sleeping bag tight together. You basically run those around the boot. And the way that you would run them around is you would kind of start just on the very top of your foot and run it around the bottom of the sole, uh, back up around and then around the back of your ankle around your Achilles and just kind of repeat that pattern. So you're kind of making it like a, a sandal, so to speak, sandal straps where you can actually uh, tighten it around both the top of the boot and then back behind your Achilles. And then you cinch that thing down tight and that makes a world of difference just in terms of how tightly that boot is able to kind of snug down onto your foot. And it makes it so much easier to actually walk through soil that's very soft and likes to grab onto the boot itself. Obviously, I'd love to be able to have that ability uh, without having to do that workaround, but it's just kind of what I've had to deal with uh, for those boots. And as far as the chat material, so that nylon, as soon as you get it out of the box, the first thing you notice is that it's really, really noisy. It does kind of seem to get quieter with time, but it's kind of like wind pants, if you can imagine that. And the only way to really quiet it down other than, you know, just getting continued use with it and putting it through the wash cycle is um, if you can actually put some like stealth strips on the, the high wear areas, like in between the thighs, um, that seems to make a difference, but typically those boots are not something that I would want to wear 
as I get really close to the place that I actually want to hunt. It would be doable, I think, but you would definitely want to cut down on any type of potential for rubbing those boots together or rubbing them against other things because they are pretty noisy. One thing you can do with those chaps is because they have snaps on them, you can take them from the hip boot configuration and actually take those legs and, uh, I guess, cinch them down onto the boot itself. So you can take the leg, lower it, and then snap the top of the chap onto the top of the boot. And that kind of holds them out of the way, but then it is, once again, a little bit bigger of a form factor once you got them down in that configuration. So again, really, I like those best as a means to get me through a certain amount of water as opposed to an all-around hunting boot. I would just kind of pack those because they are so lightweight, get them through whatever I need to get through, and then put on my actual hunting boots and just continue to pack. But at $99, I felt like they're still a pretty good deal. They do what they need to do with just some minor workarounds. For my actual hunting boots, if it's still early season enough, I'll just stick with those uh, Cabela's Instinct Pursuits. But if it starts to get a little bit colder, or if I want to go through just kind of like a small amount of water, just your, like standard uh, type of marsh grass or cattail swamp where it's knee boot territory, what I really like and have used a lot is those Cabela's Instinct Lockdown Boots. And the one I had for the longer amount of time is the 1200 gram one, which is, to be quite honest, too much insulation for kind of early October, um, even mid-October, late October, a lot of times. But once you get into November, that 1200 gram for me is nice to have. And the 400 gram version is one I actually just bought not too long ago. And as I'm kind of looking at these boots over time on the website, I kind of get the feeling that they're trying to discontinue them. The 400 and the 1200 gram actually don't even show up on their website right now. And the uninsulated version, which is the snake boot version, says limited stock. So my hope is that they're maybe making some changes to it. They're going to bring it back as maybe like a slightly modified model or something along those lines. My fear is that it just didn't sell very well and they're going back. They're completely taking it off the lineup and just going to start uh, continuing to sell other models of boots, be it rubber boots or just kind of your standard hiking boots, which I would be disappointed if that was the case. Uh, but since I kind of had the feeling that that might happen, the last time I was in the local Cabela store, I was looking through all their boots and looking through their uh, discount section, bargain cave or whatever. And that was when I actually found the 400 gram ones. Normally they were like 230 bucks, but the discount closeout price was marked at like 180 written on the tag. And so I was like, you know what? I had the 1200s. I like them. I just really can't pass this up. And as it turned out, when I got up to the register, they actually rang up at like 120. So I got those things for about half off, which is just a steal. The only thing that you could maybe say is a negative about those boots, at least in my mind, is that those boots are definitely on the stiffer side as far as soles. When I get into a motor, I want to try and be stealthy. It can be hard to do with those boots because they are so stiff and you definitely lose some touch with the ground. If I'm really trying to be stealthy, those uh, Pursuits boots are definitely a better option. Anything with a softer sole is going to be a better option. Even those Tangly Ultralight boots, they're obviously very noisy for the chap portion of it. But as far as the boots themselves, they're very soft. 
So I feel like I can walk a little bit more quietly on ground that is either, you know, grassy or ground that's covered in light sticks and things like that. I can feel those little sticks before I actually put my full weight on them to make sure that I don't actually make um, as much noise as I'm walking. So that's maybe the only negative or downside that I say that I had with those lockdown boots. But the concept of them being kind of low top hiking boots with the BOA lacing system to essentially allow you to really lace those boots and get them nice and tight onto your foot like you would with a normal hiking boot, but then having a gaiter that's integrated right into the boot that you can pull up or, or pull down, that was just a game changer for me because that allows me to get the benefits of a knee-high rubber boot in that it's waterproof up to knee level, plus it allows me to cinch very tightly around the top of the calf. So if I actually take steps that occasionally go higher than the boot, it doesn't automatically just flood the boot. I get all those advantages that I would with a rubber boot, but it's breathable and it's lighter weight. So for going through like hill country, it's just that much easier to be able to actually traverse those hills and not get blisters on your feet, being able to actually feel efficient as you're moving through the terrain, put on a lot of mile scouting if it's still colder weather. And in my experience, they've been really quite durable. Whatever face material or fabric that they use uh, doesn't really tear or rip or, or really do anything like that in my experience. And I've taken those boots through some pretty rough terrain, you know, thorns and, and things like that, where I've come out bloody on the exposed skin on my hands and, and whatnot, but the boots still don't have a stitch lifted. So if they actually do remove those boots, I'll be disappointed because I liked them. If they do bring them back, I hope that the only change that they make is just that those soles will be just ever so slightly softer to give me a little bit better feel when I'm actually walking and trying to be stealthy. And those are kind of my favorite boots for mid-season. As we move into really cold weather late season, I guess I'll talk first about the system that I have historically used and then kind of go into what I might start trying and kind of have been playing around with this winter with all the various snow and, and things that we've had. So historically, I'm the type of guy that can get really cold feet when I'm on stand. Same thing with my hands. But for the hands, it's pretty easy to solve with just some hand warmers and heaters inside of a muff. But for the boots, there's it seems like there's not much, not as much you can do once you get in the stand. Once your feet start getting cold, it's so tough to get them back warm again. And basically the thing that I found that kept my feet the warmest when I was on stand would be pack boots. And so the pack boots that I've used are the uh, Cabela's Predator Extreme Pack boots. And if you look at the size of those boots and the weight of those boots, they're pretty substantial. The boots themselves are five and a half pounds a pair. So they're heavy and they're extremely bulky. You know, I wear a size 11. But if you looked at the boot just kind of sitting on the ground next to my shoe, you would think, oh, that must be like a size 16. It's just a lot of extra material outside of your actual foot profile. Uh, but what goes into that is, I guess, number one, there's a 9mm Texel liner that goes right over the top of your foot. And then that liner is removable, so it goes in and out of the actual shell of the boot itself. And that shell of the boot has 1,200 gram thin slate of its own and is waterproof and uh, moisture wicking. So there's a lot of insulation and it definitely shows. 
Uh, I'll use those boots ice fishing as well. And obviously if your feet are sitting in wet ice or slush or anything like that, there's a lot of thermal transfer that's going on. So you need to have great insulation on the boots and they definitely keep your feet warm. The biggest challenge with them is they're kind of heavy and clumsy to walk long distances in. And if you actually do try and walk with them for any kind of substantial distance, your feet are going to sweat. There's just too much insulation. Uh, it's really hard to keep your feet from not sweating in boots that are that warm and that insulating. So what that means is that you pretty much have to pack those boots in. And that's what I've historically done when I've felt the need that, to actually bring those boots in. I would put them onto my pack, hike in with a lighter weight hiking boot. And then once I get to the stand, I would take those hiking boots off, put those bigger pack boots on, and then climb up in the tree. One of the other challenges with boots that are that big is even on like that lone wolf assault platform, it would get a little bit more uh, challenging to actually spin around and place on the platform because those shoes were so huge just in terms of their profile. Same thing with the saddle. I mean, anytime you got smaller feet, you got more you know, room to kind of move around and maneuver on those small platforms. And if you really increase the boot size in terms of its uh, sole profile, it makes things just a little bit more challenging. So the thing that I am trying to play around with is getting rid of the pack boot altogether and just really experimenting and playing around more with the boot covers. And I know there's a lot of guys that use those and, and like them a lot. And there's also some guys that uh, haven't had great experiences with boot covers. And my assumption is that some of the guys that haven't had great experiences, maybe, um, maybe it's, it's for real. Maybe my guess is that they haven't been using it right or expecting too much or expecting miracles and reading too much into the sales pitches. The biggest thing for me is I want to have dry feet that, that is so huge in cold weather. If my feet get sweaty or if they get wet, those two things just make it super hard to actually maintain warm feet over an extended period of time. And I kind of found that out the hard way, uh, back when I was using rubber boots and I would tuck my pant legs inside the boots and I would just get ridiculously cold feet and I couldn't figure out what it was until one day I kind of figured out that when you walk through the heavier snow and you kick up that little bit of snow as you walk and you lift your heel, some of that snow was hitting my pant leg and falling down into my boot. And so without even kind of realizing it, I was getting snow down inside my boots, which of course would melt once it touched my warmer foot and it was kind of soaking my socks. So while I assumed it was sweat, it was actually snow getting into the boot. So once I figured out how to, you know, kind of make sure that wasn't happening. Now the biggest thing is just sweat. And that's again, one of the reasons why you can't really wear a super heavy boot on in one of those long walks, or even, you know, when you're like driving to the place, you're wearing your heavy insulating boots when you're sitting in the truck and you got the heat blazing, even though you might be kind of comfortable or even chilled a little bit in your upper body, cause you, maybe you're wearing your base layers, your feet are still going to start sweating. And it's a lot of times harder to tell if your feet are sweating versus if they're not sweating. Whereas it's relatively speaking easier to tell if you're, you know, if, if your head is sweating or if your back is sweating, those things are pretty easy to feel. I don't know if it's just because you have fewer receptors on your feet. But for me, it's just, it's hard to tell if my feet are actually sweating until I actually take that boot off and then I can feel the sock and see if there's any moisture there. So it's usually a little bit easier to err on the side of 
having feet that are on the cool side when you're actually walking in versus having them get too hot. And so while you can wear a light boot or an uninsulated boot on the way in and then uh, pack in the heavier boot like I had been doing, there's always the option of just kind of leveraging the uninsulated or the lightly insulated boot that you already have and then just using one of those boot covers or boot blankets along with maybe some external warmers uh, to be able to sort of increase the insulation around those boots. And that's, that's kind of, I think, the direction that I'm leaning towards just because the weight in the bulk of the boot covers is so much less substantial. Can they be as warm as something like a pack boot? I don't know. I, I'd believe it if I see it. I still need to do some longer tests, I think. Um, a lot of the shorter tests, it's just really hard to tell. You know, even like at ATA, the, the boot blanket people were having people dunk their, their boots into, you know, like ice buckets. I just, I really don't think the amount of time that some of those tests take give you really a, a great realistic idea of what is going to happen when you're actually up in a tree. You know, it's not like you actually get cold over the span of five minutes. It's usually that long drawn out, like maybe hour one, you're fine. Hour and a half, maybe you start to feel a little bit chilled. Two hours, you start to feel cold. Three hours, your, your feet are just on fire. Um, so I think it's one of those things where and now it definitely is the time to do it because it's, it's so cold and we have so much snow on the ground. I just need to sit out there uh, with one boot and like a pack boot, one boot and like a, you know, like that 400 gram lockdown boot uh, covered in a, a couple, maybe chemical warmers and a boot blanket and just see if there's any difference because if there's even an equivalent or close to equivalent amount of warmth with the boot covers versus the pack boots, then I would definitely lean toward the side of the boot covers because it's a lot less bulk and pack to actually uh, have to carry in. So by that same token, I'm also curious to see if anybody else has gone that same path and uh, made the switch to using boot covers entirely versus just using a heavy boot. I can tell you right now that using a knee-high 400-gram boot to be able to walk in is going to have my foot be a lot less sweaty than something like a 1200 gram. So there's even the chance that that 400 gram boot could replace the 1200 gram boot overall if I'm able to find a boot blanket system that I like and that also I'm able to move around with and maneuver well with um, in something like a tree saddle. So I think the jury's still a little bit out. I still need to gather a little bit more data before I make something definitive, but that's the testing that I'm currently doing right now. And by the time that we actually transition from this extended winter into spring, I'll hopefully have an answer. And then I'll be able to let everybody know kind of what my experiences are, probably even make a video on uh, that type of maybe extended uh, test. So I think with that, we can probably wrap this podcast up a little bit early. I hope that the information I was able to give throughout this one is able to help shed some light, uh, maybe for some guys who are either looking to get new boots for whitetail hunting or maybe are looking to change their system. Maybe they're looking to try and get from a rubber boot to a hiking boot or vice versa and are just kind of wondering what some of the pros and cons are to making a switch like that. As always, make sure to follow and like the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network on iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you typically download to listen to your podcast. Leave us a review. Continue to send in questions. 
and thanks for listening.